Hi, I'm Craig Bierko, and you're listening to The Road Taken. Hi, I'm Vicki Abelson. I wrote a book called Don't Jump. Andy Stone is my heroine, and she was addicted to everything pretty much except heroin. Oh my God, oh yes! She just totally captures the excitement of, of rock stars. And famous athletes and famous comedians. Sort of an insider's view from the outside. The warmth and wit of Vicky's writing knocked me out. In, in a good way, not, not like Cosby. Too soon? Vicky wrote a book? Vicki Abelson's long-awaited new book, Don't Jump, is finally here. Don't miss it. Available on Amazon. Welcome to Vicki Abelson's broadcast, The Road Taken. Vicky's the creator and host of the renowned celebrity-driven literary salon, Women Who Write, and the author of Amazon bestseller, Don't Jump. Here's Vicky. Hey, Justin, how you doing tonight? Good. How you doing, Vicky? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, I have a question for you. Um, you're on social media, yeah? Yes. Yes, you have Facebook and... What's the social media of choice for your for what what generation are you? I was basically when MySpace was becoming a thing. Right. That's when I was in high school. Okay. So MySpace is where we started, right? And then when we were in college, Facebook came out, and so everybody was on Facebook. Right. And how about now? What What's your social media of choice? Uh, I'm still primarily Facebook. I don't use it a whole lot, uh-huh. but that that would probably be it. Okay, so have you, um, to date, met anybody that you were Facebook friends with and then met them in real life? Uh, no, I have not had that happen. Ah, that's interesting. I, I think it's a generational thing. Um, I think uh, my generation tends to friend much more freely on social media because we don't friend as freely in real life. Yeah. It's harder. So I, I, I think, uh, I know, speaking for myself, I use social media a lot as my social life. So our guest tonight is somebody that I actually met on Facebook. Okay. Um, who... I, I was a fan of his work, Craig Bierko. Um, I had seen him on Sex and the City and Boston Legal and Cinderella Man and all of these things that he had done. And um, I saw that he was on Facebook and I, I friended him. And we had a lot of mutual friends, uh, Facebook friends and real life friends. And we became kind of, you know, friendly as you get on social media, you know, t- you know, chatting, you know, making jokes on on threads and stuff mm-hmm. and from that I invited him to do Women Who Write my literary salon which I was doing bi-coastally at that time because I had a place in New York and so when I did it in New York he he did the salon in New York and so the Facebook friendship went real world and then um, because I live primarily in LA and he in New York you know we really didn't see each other you know maybe we've seen each other a couple of times mm-hmm. um, since then but I knew when I started doing this show that I, I had to get him on this show because he is absolutely one of the most original, creative, funny, genius minds of anyone. I've. But he's also completely insane. And, and it's very intriguing to me. So I'm really excited and thrilled that, that he's going to be with us today. So, Justin, help me welcome to the show Craig Bierko. Hey, Craig. Hi. Wow, what a rousing applause. Is that what you do? Is that applause? You okay. just got one guy who's not even near a mic on Craig. So Justin, Craig just lost fifty pounds. I wanna hear how what I wanna know what you did. I wanna know what you did. I know you went to the biggest loser thing. What'd they do to you there? Well, I, I went there thinking, you know, that it was called uh, it's called something else. Was something like uh, 
Fitness Ridge. Okay. Uh, uh, John Patrick Shanley. I was doing a play. I, I am John friends Pat- with John Patrick Shanley. So we both dropped the name. <laughs> Together we dropped it. Can't hold that's one heavy name. Two people can't carry it. It, it but is. But he's, he was, you know, I was porking up a little bit. And, I, and I'll tell you, the reason I was porking up is I was, I was in a, I was in, it, I can't blame the other person because it, it all comes back to you. But boy, I was in a relationship that was going south and had been for a while. And I, it was putting so much stress on me. I read later that it can actually, like, um, what's the gland? I always forget the name of the gland, but there's a gland that's, that I guess processes your weight and fat and all that kind of stuff. Um, You're, I, I, yeah, there is. What is it? I, Come on. Thyroid. Thyroid. Is, thyroid? Thank is that you. even yes. a gland? It, it okay. is a gland. A mammal. That might be a mammal. I don't know. It's a gland. But, uh, it's an insect. Um, <laughs> but it, but a lot of times stress will screw up your thyroid. Yes. And, you know, you get that. And that had never happened to me, but I'd also never felt stress like this. I mean, with any of the things that I've ever done, okay. any. We any, want to talk about those things in a few minutes, but yeah, okay. But, but I mean, but not even performance oriented, just things that cause stress. Right. To be in a long-term difficult situation where you're going back and forth and back and forth. Uh, it was a very specific thing I, I found out later. Uh, but uh, I think the reason for the weight gain, because it got kind of profound, uh, was my, I think my thyroid, parts of my, parts of my body were going, I don't want any part of it. I, I don't and know he, what you're doing. I don't want any part of it. And you weren't, you weren't eating differently? It was just your body was responding differently? Because I tend to eat my feelings. So, you know, I'll, yeah, I'll I, eat the... There was some of that. There was some of that. There was some late, but I, I still, you know, I don't eat perfectly and I, I will, you know, I, I, I mean, uh, I'm sure I was, I wasn't watching out and I wasn't exercising. Okay. So you put this weight on, you went down to this place. Yeah. How, what did they have you do to lose this weight? I'm really curious. Well, I think the main thing is you get down there and, you know, there are people who, Listen, I've been in shape before. Mm-hmm. I needed to lose a sherry, basically. I needed to lose a sherry. <laughs> and, um, uh, but it was going to take some work. I was down there for a month. I told myself, I'll stay there for a month. So, but there are also people who are just human beach balls. You know, they, they literally are just round and obese. And I thought, what am I, what am I with, the, with the fatties? But the thing is, uh, everybody, they work you at your own pace. So you're competing only with yourself. They're pushing. There's no competition against anybody else. So and, you're doing and, a lot of physical stuff. Well, a lot, most, mostly physical, uh, but they start you out slow. Uh, I mean, it doesn't feel like it's slow. In fact, the very first night I was there, that you know, you go from class to class to class to class to class. Meal, snack, meal, okay, snack. Okay, so class. wait, wait. What's the meal? What's the snack? I want to know. Well, uh, the snack uh, sounds laughably small, but it would be like a little cup of almond peanut butter, you know, whatever, almond yeah. butter and a banana. Okay. And that's it. Or you could have, you know, but it was always just a tiny, I was like, are you fucking kidding? <laughs> and then on the, by, the, by the second week, I was like, I don't think I need the banana. I don't need, I'll save it for later. I don't think get I can get it. Get out of here. Well, you know, your stomach shrinks, but also it's the whole idea of what was happening was I was chasing something that I wanted to work that wasn't going to work. Right. 
I was chasing it and it was killing me, literally killing me. So I end up at a place where they say, look, you want to learn to run fast. We'll show you how to run fast. This is how you do it. You eat foods that are fuels and they're also drugs. They affect your mind. Food affects everything. So it affects your thinking. And what I found was, um, the, the depression I was so afraid of. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I think I was staying in this situation was to avoid a depression. Okay. And, and, uh, which I think a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. And what was happening was my mood was lifting. And there was a nutritionist there. I wish yeah. I could remember her name. But she, but she was wonderful. Uh, I'll give it to you. Do you have notes for the show? Because I'd like to give it to you later. You know, it's interesting. But do you have like... We're recording this, so I'll be able to play yeah. it back and like I'll know what you said. But I can't get the name. What I'm saying oh. is I can send it to you because oh. this person is truly great. I'd love to have her name. I'd love... But anyway, she taught me... And the class and that was down there, the people who were down there, uh, it, it, there's no magical food. Eat, you know, obviously don't eat. You don't want to eat processed crap. No, right. But what, to, what were they feeding you? What, would have, what was lunch? Uh, like lunch would be a, a protein. It would be a piece of chicken. It would be a hamburger. It would mm-hmm. be – they give you a protein, you know, um, and, and usually a salad, a vegetable, something like that. Mm-hmm. And the first week you're like, is this – is this the meal I, or something? I feel I like it's feels like we're, and they're like, doesn't it look good? I'm like, yeah, if you're flying over it, <laughs> it's had small, you know, uh, or what did, what did somebody said, uh, you know what this would go good with? And I said, lunch, <laughs> uh, they didn't feed us anything special. There were people there who, you know, they were going to lose weight because they, it was their time to do it. It's the same. Any, anybody who abuses anything you have to have that mentality of, I'm ready to stop. This right. is going to kill me. And and there were people there who I thought this person is probably going to be fat forever because you 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 could tell in their attitude, they were arguing with someone who's giving them helpful information, mm-hmm. who knows what they're talking about. And they're saying yes, but I sometimes want I'll eat that peanut butter and that's all there is in the house. That's not an argument for making it a single serving. You but know? That, that's sort of a takeaway about everything in life, I think. You know, if people offer us good suggestions and we get defensive and we're not, we don't yeah. have an open mind and an open heart. Well, if you, they, send us a, they sent us a, a cookbook. And so you lost 50 pounds. I did eventually. I probably lost about 30 while I was there, six weeks. I don't want to give anybody the wrong impression. Yeah, 50 you know. pounds so in six weeks is kind of sick. But that's I, kept, I kept working. And um, uh, I, you know, I'm... I've still, I, I, I'm still, I think I, I, at that point I was, I'm like 209 now. So I had 50 to that. That's what I was. I was, I was porking up good. I was, you know, I was getting Tevya ready. <laughs> was at that time. You're too tall to play Tevya. There's never been a six foot, whatever Tevya. You can't play Tevya. No. In Greece, if they ever do it in the park, you know, like one of those theaters, <laughs> the masks, they'll just have a regular guy. They don't, they can save on a mask. <laughs> All okay, right. now let's okay, talk so about now, me. So now let's talk about you. Okay, so I know that, and I'm sorry about your dad. I'm so sorry for your loss. Um, you I know that your dad, um, your dad had a theater. Your, your, your parents had a, th- all right, wait, before we get to that, your, mo- your mom Jewish and converted to Catholicism? W- wait a minute. Tell, what, what, what is that? If this was a movie, it would be a big confrontation scene. But you know what? They were what you call Christmas tree Jews. That's how I was raised, too. 
you have you actually have the Christmas tree. You do the whole Santa thing. And the only time I ever went to synagogue was to go to a bar mitzvah, my friend's bar mitzvah. Right. Uh, I, I ne- I've never been a practicing Jew. If I chose, I would I would probably go with that because, you know, uh, I just uh, I, I, I like the philosophy from what I've heard. But I, but there's also crazy in it, you know, that I in every religion for me. Um, but spiritually, I feel more aligned with, with the And I grew up amongst the tribe. You, yes. I like the rhythm of it, you know, okay. the rhythm. And, and so much of, of, of how I communicate, mm-hmm. it, it, it feels, it, and I don't, it's, no, it, I don't mean it in a racist way at all. You know what I mean. I, 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 actually, that- I actually want to say something about that, by the way. I, I had planned to anyway. But, you know, you're, you're a very gifted and talented song and dance man and an actor. You're a brilliant actor. But I have to tell you, for me, your true genius is when you are being Craig Bierko. And for me, you are at your funniest, your cleverest, your, your most wonderful when you're doing your own stuff. And the stuff I, that you put on social media, I, I don't know if you remember, but I encouraged you back then to do longer form stuff, which I, I your, your little movies have got. Um, Craig's movies star his bitch Boo. That's not his girlfriend. That's his dog. And um, she's well, like famous. Yeah, I'm getting old enough now where they're kind of, she is kind of my girlfriend. <laughs> but, but Boo is famous. Boo is on Unreal TV. She is a character. Does she get paid, by the way? She doesn't get paid, but uh, she—I would never do that because yeah. uh, that was that was a favor to me, you know. I mean, and, and I didn't ask for it. She just happened to be my my first entrance in that show is on a golf cart, so she just jumped up onto the golf cart because she's always following me around. Right. And the director uh, said, "Is that your dog?" And I said, "Yeah." He goes, uh, I, "I said, but she'll sip. You know, when we start shooting, she'll go. She's a good set dog." She goes, "No, that'll be your dog on the show." So she's sitting next to me while I'm doing coke, while I'm having sex. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's fantastic. But, 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 but Boo is always next to you. I mean, always next to you in life every time I've seen you. And also, uh, you know, on all your videos, which are amazing. And I really uh, hope, I really hope that you longer form because your stuff is brilliant. And, and Thank you so much. It's the truth. And also, I have to tell you something really crazy. But the character that you play on Unreal TV was my producing partner, Mike Fleiss. Okay, for those of you out there who don't know, Craig's, Craig is on Unreal TV, which I'm, I'm sure you all know. It's Unreal. You, you know, the TV thing is like the moniker for... Oh, it's not so the TV. Okay, just Unreal. Unreal. Okay, Unreal. Why do I think it's called Unreal TV? You're crazy. You're out of your mind. <laughs> they put a TV next to it, right? You know, my mother goes, you know what show I like? 30-ish. <laughs> they don't make shows like that. <laughs> okay, so, any, so, so anyway, so... On the show, on, on Unreal, Craig plays this character, Chet, who is the, the, the producer, who is this horrible human being of, like, The Bachelor. It's a takeoff of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. So Mike Fleiss was, uh, I, I optioned a music reality show to Telepictures in, in 2006, and they partnered me with Mike Fleiss. And at the time, this was back when The Bachelor was kind of newish, they, they were saying to me, oh, he's jumped the shark, right? Jumping the shark is not oh. a good thing, right? They were saying, oh, yeah. he's a has-been. Look at this. It's, it's t- 11 years later, and The Bachelor and The Bachelorette is still number one on the air. But anyway, they partnered me with him, but he never, he never came into the room. He sent one of his people, and I, we developed the show, I developed the show with one of his pr- people. And, um, but anyway, you play that guy, which is so... Well, I really don't. I mean, I, I've, I, I, there are a couple... I'm, and I get on... It doesn't make me uncomfortable, but I've never... And it wasn't by design. Uh, 
I just got, I was set the script, which I didn't expect on any level to, uh, to, to get, to want to be part of, you know, I was up doing that play with John Patrick Chanley when I got a call from my agent saying they're doing a show on lifetime. It's called unreal. It's about reality television. And then I just remember hearing <laughs> in my head, like, I don't, <laughs> yeah, you, I hope you like it when it's on. What can I tell you? Uh, they said, we're sending you the script. And I was like, okay. Uh, and I, it's over. I'm going to end up being doing, I'll be playing, I'm going to play Jacqueline Smith's, you know, chauffeur on something. You know, that's what it's going to be. Because I, you know, I, that's, I had a prejudice against Lifetime. Mm -hmm. But they were rebranding, you know, the way uh, AMC did. And this show, I read the script and I thought, I'm going to read this again because I think I rather enjoyed it. Let me read it again. So I read it again and I, I realized, oh, it's, it's not really, I mean, it's set in the world of reality television, mm -hmm. and that is what, you know, that's what you see everybody working with. But it's, it's what it is, is a truly great show. It is that's a truly character great driven. show. It certainly and it's is. It's a truly great show that's character driven, and mm -hmm. people, whether they're, whether they're conscious of it or not, are attached to the characters' mm -hmm. relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I didn't. Without giving a spoiler, by the way, that is the darkest ending of a show that I can remember in a long time. It was so dark, I thought maybe they were pulling a Mickey and they were going to do something else and they were doing this so we wouldn't talk. That's what I thought it was. Because it's so dark. It's a funny term, dark, because what I think it is, is, uh, I don't want to say accurate, because I don't know what that world is like. Mm -hmm. I have never read about reality television and I watched part of one season because my girlfriend at the time, I just, I didn't run through the living room fast enough. She <laughs> caught the shirt and you know, you got, I got caught and I had to watch it. But it was the, it was the year uh, that that guy Juan Pablo was on. Ugh, I, it, my daughter watches it and, and yeah, they, everybody hated watching. him. Couldn't believe what I was watching. And, 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 um, but I also realized they can make him look as bad or as good as mm. they want. I, I, I've made the mistake of saying that guy seemed crazy, but I don't know anything about this guy mm -hmm. or any of them. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, it's all a manipulation, and I didn't know to the extent to which it's manipulated until I, I met Sarah Gertrude Shapiro and Marty Knox, who wrote the, and created the show. Mm -hmm. uh, all of these things, uh, I don't know that, you know, I don't, the murders certainly, I, 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 I hope. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. A lot of this, no, well, that was from the first, you know, season. There was a murder in the first season, or what they called a murder, you know. Right. Well, that's still a spoiler. People might not have seen it, but you don't know who I'm talking about. That's a good but, point. Uh, but uh, it's, they're screwing with people's lives yes. to the degree. And uh, I, what, what, what struck me about it poetically, uh, and which is why I just said, yeah, of course I want to do this, what was one of these great surprises for uh, was it's a show about people who are consciously creating a bogus love affair, mm -hmm. selling it as real, mm -hmm. who can't find anything close to love themselves. They're all so screwed up. That's a really that's said very succinctly. I don't know if that's the line on the show, but that's really good. I don't think it would be right if that was a line. You know, you, I don't think a lot no, of no, no. people... I, I, I don't, I, I don't know if that's how you guys talk about it and that's how you promote no, it, but that's really good. Up, but I don't talk to any of these people. I'm much older <laughs> and more experienced. No, but I if really... If they have questions, they write them in, I answer. But if you had to do the log line of the show, I think that's it right there. I really like that. No, that's really good. It's how I had to... Well, I, I you asked about Mike Fleiss. I didn't even know... For the first season, I didn't even know his name. Mm. 
And I've only just begun to be able to remember it. But it has to be repeated. If you asked me at the beginning, who, who is this character based on, I would not have remembered the name Mike Fleiss. Uh, I, 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 and consciously, but it's not necessary. And I don't, you know, who, I, 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 it, portraying somebody real who's going through their life on television and playing them as a villain, that's, it's just not fair. You know, when I played um, uh, Max Baer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cinderella he, Man. Yeah. Cinderella Man. Uh, it was an honor to play him. It was an honor to get to know all these boxers. Mm-hmm. But what I really wanted to do was call Max Baer Jr. and say, hey, they're making this guy a villain. But I mean, I've read about and I've watched so much footage on your dad. Like, charming. He was like Dean Martin 20 years before Dean Martin. Wow. I see this footage and he's so funny and so charming. And he happened to have this right because he grew up killing cattle with a sledgehammer that's a nice gig by the way if you're ever sick of your job you could be doing that and he felt right so uh but uh, um i wanted to contact him for something i finally did i called him i found his number wow and called him and i this was all this was less than a year ago and oh, the wow. movie was 2005 and i said i better do this soon because we're all you know none of us are getting younger so i called him i said my name's craig bier he goes i know who you are and I thought, this man's going to beat me up through Jethro. the television. Yeah. Wow. I said, he said, I know who you are. Man, you did such a great job. Aww. He was very complimentary. He said, all that stuff with the white, because, you know, Max Bear used to wipe sweat off of his glove. And you had all that stuff down. And I said, well, I wanted to call you and tell you that, you know, who doesn't have daddy issues? I've got some daddy issues myself. But if somebody made a movie about my father and only put an exaggeration of the bad stuff, I gotta, I'd have a problem mm-hmm. with that. Uh, and he said, well, I did at first, but you know, it's just a movie and, um, uh, I really appreciate this call. And okay. So let, he, all right. We're talking about Chet's life. Let, let's talk about your life a little bit for, for oh, the listeners out am there. I being evasive? I don't mean to be. No, you're not being evasive no, at all. You're, 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 you're telling great stories and, and I could listen to all of them, but I want, but I want to know your story because that's what this show is about. The show is about your, your story. So, so how did little Craig Bierko get sparked? Your, your parents had a theater, they had a theater company. There was a community theater called the Harrison players and my mother became the president of it. And, uh, you know, and they didn't run it together. My mother was the, basically the president did all the, you know, running of the meetings and stuff. And my dad played a lot of the leads because oh your dad he, was an actor well he they both wanted to be actors originally but um neither you know there's a, there's a lot you have to go through and you either can uh stomach the rejection or you can't and i think as soon as that started they decided maybe you know business and being a housewife will do hmm. you know uh it, it didn't it didn't take you know as it doesn't for a lot of people you know it's and- not theatrical but my dad went to the American Theater Wing. He studied there. He was in class with James Earl Jones. Oh, wow. Um, and, and he was very striking, very handsome guy. But he, you know, it, I don't, what he was was truly charismatic. And, what, and to this day, my Uncle George, who just retired and, you know, had like a giftware company and was one of, he was an employee of my grandfather's. He, they were salesmen together. And to this day, he said, I never met a better salesman than your father. Wow. But, you know, there were other qualities that you have to have just mm-hmm. to get through life. You, mm-hmm. you know, you can be the greatest baseball player in the world. There are problems that are going to prevent you from getting into the major leagues, you know. And so it, that was the sad part. Mm-hmm. Uh, is my dad really, 
uh, could walk into any room. He just had a natural charisma. Everybody looked at him, and then everybody loved him. Gee, that sounds like somebody I know. You? Bill Clinton. <laughs> okay, so what sparked you? What, do you remember, what was the first play you did? Do you remember your first line? Who, who, what was the, when did you know you wanted I, to do that? I played the B for Bolivia in an alphabet of our nations. And what was the, your line? I think my line was it's something like, the capital of Bolivia is La Paz. <laughs> Something like that. It was something like that. Uh, and then whatever their you know export was, and it was literally it was written behind the B. But I was standing in the you know the gym, and all the parents were out there, and I got applause. And then I said, "No applause, just money." <laughs> and I got a huge laugh, and I think I think that was the it was all over but the crime. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, okay. So in. so from the B. Um, so what happened after that? Well, I did. I did. I, you know, when my mom ran the Harrison Players, I had to audition with everybody else to, to be in Gypsy. I, I auditioned to be a newsboy. And I think my dad taught me a little routine. At the end, I would hold up the newspaper, you know, you sing extra, extra, that, that song, and uh, that, 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 and I went like that. And the newspaper was upside down. And the whole town started laughing at me, <laughs> which is another essential ingredient. Yes. The darker malt. <laughs> Uh, and what was even worse is they, they thought that was so adorable, we're going to put it in. They put it in the show. So every night, and Stacey Berman, if you're out there, I'm going to tell her to watch this show. Stacey Berman, who lived across the street, said, I've seen the show twice. You keep screwing up the newspaper. I was like, it's in. She goes, you know. Uh, but I, I, I had the time of my life. The first crush I ever had was on the girl who played Baby June. Uh, Lisa Marie Connolly, oh my God, every time she walked in. She was eight feet taller than I was. Uh, like, if, you know, from my angle, it looked like a, just a human parade balloon. Being <laughs> okay, so now when did you figure out that you could sing and dance? How did that happen? Well, I can't dance. <laughs> I, I mean, I can get out there I, I've and I'm seen you. You, you. you saw me, if you saw me I dance, saw you in company. I saw you, I saw the, I saw the music man stuff i have to i have to work harder than anybody else and for the music man well they did it you know i knew anna white who directed the original music man and directed me in a, in wow, a play she must be old well I, I don't think she's with us anymore but wow. she was in her 80s and she literally had walked in with the puppies you know she was like a broadway you know <laughs> and she talked like this <laughs> I couldn't tell if I was talking or she was talking. There was no difference in our voices. But she was so supportive. And she, and she uh, told me that Robert Preston was petrified of the dancing. And you just watch the movie. The guy moves like his feet never even touch the ground. I mean, it's magical. Wow. And um, she said what she knew it would be a confidence thing. It always is a confidence thing. Mm -hmm. So she taught him everything and had him teach the cast. Wow. Uh, they didn't do that, but I was begging Susan. I got offered the part. I mean, I auditioned for it, but when they offered me the part, by the time I walked downstairs to tell my mother, I was already ready to call Susan Froman and say, can do this? I don't dance. I have trouble standing up fast. You know? <laughs> uh, and I did tell her that eventually, and she said, "We're gonna, you're going to look amazing. It was Susan Stroman who knew how to choreograph people around me. So just when I couldn't do something, someone would do something brilliant in front of me. Did you study dance? Did you of, study dance? Uh, a little bit, but I, I didn't have, I couldn't keep 
the uh, order of the movements in my mind. I don't think it was until I did Music Man that I realized, oh, everything's on the count of eight. <laughs> I didn't realize it. I thought, how do people remember they're going to do this and then the, at some point they do that and when to do it? You know, I could I could figure it out. Uh, and, and for the Music Man, what they did is they hired a woman, Tara Young, who uh, her job was to stay on my ass. And whenever there was a break, she goes, let's run it again. And we ran everything. There was a move. There was one move that I had to do at the end of '76 trombones uh, that I never got right once. <laughs> I played it as though I did it right, but I said, "You know, you really should put on the poster Mr. Bierko's choreography suggested by Susie Stroll, because that's <laughs> really how close I get." I just did it was such. But there were numbers like Shapoopy, uh, where I worked. I really did work so hard. I'd go home, and then my rule was I had to do it 15 times through before I go to bed. Little obsessive things mm -hmm. like that. Uh, and I'm not an obsessive person. I just heard that Anthony Hopkins does that. He makes a little pie chart mm -hmm. on the top of his script, and then he has to fill in. He goes through the lines on that page, and he fills in one piece of pie, goes through it again, and he has to fill wow. you know, it. do it Because you want to know it by rote. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to know it so well it's in your bones. And by the, by the time, she, she got me so prepared that by the time we opened, I can't remember I just couldn't wait to share the show. There were That's no so great. I just wanted to share it. How did you get? How did you get from? The Music Man came before the the Sydney the Sydney. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. Sydney was first. Sydney was Sydney okay. Was the, so what was your what was your first break? So you you went to Northwest. You went to Northwestern. I went you, to Northwestern. I was at you know I did little things. I did the very first job I had was uh, called it was a show called Our House with Wilford Brimley. Oh wow! And. Uh, is it David Huddleston or or Bill Huddleston? I get the name wrong. I've done this before, but he just we just lost him. But he played my father, and I and you know he was he was someone I, I I wouldn't have known his name, but he was he played Santa Claus in Santa Claus the movie. But I you know he he did. But wait, so. how did how did you get to that point? Like you you're 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 in college. You graduate from college. How did you then become a working actor? I went to Northwestern, and one thing Northwestern, well, they do a lot of things very well, but one of the things they do that a lot of colleges don't do is they prepare you for the actual world after college. Mm -hmm. It's not, first, they did say, you'll probably never work in a theater this nice ever again, you know, <laughs> yeah. which, is, which is kind of true. I mean, this, the, you know, the college theater is pristine and clean, and a working, even a, a top-notch working theater is kind of falling apart. Right. Um, but... Uh, uh, or unless it's someplace new. But uh, they prepared us by bringing in professionals. They bought in agents. They bought in uh, casting directors. They bought in, uh, uh, and the agents would tell us, you know, we're not just looking for pictures. We're looking for these types of pictures. Mm -hmm. we, this is what, so by the time you, were you had your marching orders, the people who went to New York, you know. Is sort that of what you did? Work. No, I, I was terrified of going to New York. Also, it felt right. I, I needed, I, I, something felt right about going out to LA and it was further away from my family. It was very close to my family. Mm -hmm. I love my, my family, but I, I like the idea of going and finding out, going striking out on my own. Mm -hmm. I, I think a part of part of the joy of that was because I knew what I wanted to do. I like a lot of students. When did you when did you know? Did you know from that little boy who was the bee in Bolivia? Did you know then that's what you wanted to? When did you know? What when were you sparked? Uh, I, I it's hard to it's hard to know for sure. I mean, I always liked the idea of doing it, but I don't. Did you ever want to do anything else? 
Well, after I graduated college, uh, high school, uh, the, I didn't go right to Northwestern. I went to Boston University. I didn't get into Northwestern. I went to Boston University, and they had a theater program that was um, it was a conservatory. I wanted mm-hmm. to get a liberal arts education, mm-hmm. so I decided to get uh, a communications degree, mm-hmm. and it just wasn't for me, mm-hmm. you know. And I kept going over to Harvard to do plays. Oh, I had wow. a friend, so I'd go over to Harvard and do be, do something with the Gilbert and Sullivan Society or something. And I just thought, who am I kidding? And I'm good. Like, I, I feel like I'm good. Like there are people telling me I'm good. I, and I, I just thought, what is, you know, you get, you get your one life. And plus I'm in a place where I should be studying and all I'm doing is looking for excuses to perform. I got to go live my life. Mm-hmm. So it was, I didn't understand how brave that was, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but it was what I wanted. And I got into Northwestern again. And did your parents I, support these decisions, by the way? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, there was no. They, I, I was lucky enough that even after they were divorced, that when when they got divorced, did I mention they were divorced? They no. they got divorced. Mm-hmm. My parents got divorced when I was ten. Mm-hmm. They made it very clear. I mean, I think the thing they told me after we're getting a divorce is it has nothing to do with you and your brother. This is a problem between mommy and daddy, you know. And that and that was that's what everybody should be told it, you know, and it, it helped, it took, it sucked the trauma out of it for me. You know, there was no, uh, it was hard to watch them go through it, but, um, it, uh, I, but they, they, uh, they were very, did you, were you asking me about like, if they were supportive? Of yeah. Like, did, yeah. Did, 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 was there any backlash for you to do something else, be something else? No, no. no. I remember, you know, there are certain people, I mean, I loved my dad, but I think my dad, if if one of them was going to be an actor, it was going to be my dad. And I think when he left, he went out to California because I think he was 40 at the time and probably thought, if I'm going to do it, you know. Oh, he tried? Other, well, there were other issues involved, uh, you know, that aren't worth going into. But I And I don't think he made a serious go of it because I don't think he was ever serious about doing it. Mm-hmm. I think he wanted to be, maybe that world of glamour would absorb him. It's what kills most people, you know. Mm-hmm. Luckily, what happened instead uh, was he he ran into a guy who's famous in certain circles named Clancy, and uh, and uh, yes, he got Clancy. he got sober. Mm-hmm. And I had an opportunity through another friend to meet Clancy. And I thanked him, mm-hmm. and uh, it was, nice. that was true. Uh, okay, so let's get back he, to you. So you come out here, and you and come I, out to L.A. and and what happens when you get here? How old are you? Well, like I said, they prepared me enough to know what my marching orders were. So what's the first thing you did? I slept on Eric Gilliland's couch. (laughs) Eric Gilliland. I love him. He's very funny, yes. Eric, everybody is one of those showbiz hubs. He's a truly great guy. I knew him in college. Everybody slept on his couch the week they came out there. And I also had met a girl named Jamie Tarsus who at that point was a, was just a casting director mm-hmm. at Lorimar, which mm-hmm. no longer exists. It's, Lorimar, uh, you use that all Lorimar, yeah. I do that <laughs> in my little film. Uh, but, uh, you know, they were the MGM Studios. Uh, he lived, Eric lived a block and a half away from MGM. I couldn't believe I was out there. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it. I still had this fascination. I still have it. Though. I'm going to walk through a studio gate. But when I met Jamie Tarsus, she was just you know, doing casting, meeting people. Mm-hmm. I was still at Northwestern. She said, if you're ever out in Los Angeles, call me. We'll set up an appointment, you know. So I did. It was one. Of, that was the first thing I did. And I you're, ran, like, you're like 20, 20, 21, 22 years 22 old? Years 20, old. Okay. 
21, yeah, probably 21 years old. Mm -hmm. And I called, she said, come in on Wednesday and do a monologue. Mm -hmm. And I sat in an office that was like this big. She was this close. And the only monologue I knew was this monologue from Streamers, which was this David Rabe play. And it's a character, it's a character talking about how um, he uh, mugs gay guys outside of a gay club. And he, uh, he's talking to a friend. He said, you know what? I decided to go home with a guy one night instead. Because, well, you know, you close your eyes, a mouth to mouth. Like, it's this, it was this brilliant monologue. I'm not reducing it. It's a brilliant monologue. But this is what I chose to try to get on a guest spot on Dallas. <laughs> or whatever the hell was, you know. Or, you know, we're doing a new full house. They want three funny guys. What do you got? So I, you know, listen, I take this, get, you know, whatever. I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, the other thing I used to do is uh, if I didn't, if I needed a, a monologue, I knew Bill Cosby's material backwards and forwards. And I knew like the deep cuts. There was a story about him trying to flush his brother Russell down the toilet. <laughs> and I did that sometimes as a comedy monologue. And I, and I, and it was, and I would tell, they'd say, what's that from? I've never heard that. I said, it's from, a, it's from up your own tree. <laughs> Okay, so, all right, so you, you auditioned for Jamie Tarsus. So what's the first thing you get? Well, and it was, they kept bringing me in for shows that were, like Lorimar shows, and the first thing I got was this thing called Our House, which starred right. Wilford. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I did that, and I, uh, you know, um, I, I, I had, I, I just, I felt really comfortable. I, 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 I you know, I, I, I started figuring out how to use the camera. That was another thing about acting class. You know, if I was president of everything, <laughs> I you know, is uh, ha put some effort into ha teaching students how to deal with certain inevitable distractions, like the fact that there's you're surrounded by three transformer robots who were slowly moving in on you while you're having a quiet, quiet moment. It was, you know, but. Uh, I had a feel for it. I noticed I, that I had a feel for it, mm -hmm. and um, and how to use the camera, and and that I could go smaller, mm -hmm. and uh, and that there were different, you know. And I started developing whatever my technique is. I started learning how to conserve for close-ups and how to use, you know. I'm still working things like that out. And um, how what what do you think? Like this show is about giving people some tips Wait a minute. on Siri, who's been listening to this entire conversation saying i don't know what that means if you like <laughs> i can search the web for in general that's the way the world is talking about. um Sorry. so so w what what the listener what i am interested in is what do you think like is there a method to your madness i mean okay so you you went to school you you are willing to try you're you're you have a, a good sense of who you are. Why do you think you broke through and succeeded? Do you have any theory on that? Well, there's no sense. I don't know if you, because what you're doing is I've heard people talk about you and refer to you in the same way. And I'm sorry, knowing Mike Nesmith is, that's a big deal. And having him be the first guest on your show is, I wouldn't be able to get Mike Nesmith to be the first guest. You know, I wouldn't be able to, you don't feel it which is part of the problem after a while, after the first flush of something, a, a success. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, re I, I have very clear and what felt like very healthy memories of standing on stage during a standing ovation, which by the way was almost by order, 
you know, I can't even imagine what it must be like to get a standing O on Broadway. Basically, me- stop it, stop it, because my my parents were there and they were they were standing. My mother's was is the first one who was standing. So no, it was not by order. Uh, no, I don't. I, I, I'm saying, but 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 you want to leave them. Wanting to do that. Having us come in with the trombones was just, it was a brilliant idea, but it also captured the spirit of everything. Obviously, we had to learn to do it, and we we were okay, but we weren't great. So it was all terrific, you know, And, uh, and, and she just naturally brings a lot of love. Herself. She's All right, Susan's person. fabulous. I'm talking about you. Wait, yes. listen. I, I'm I'm very evasive, Li- wait, aren't I? Wait, listen. Go ahead. I, this is what I want to know. What? Oh, you know that Peter O'Toole thing in my favorite year where he says, "I'm not an actor. I'm a movie star." Right? What? What? What was the thing about it that drove you? Was it to be great at your craft? Was it to be famous? Was it? Do you love celebrities? Like what? what I'll, I'll answer. I'll answer as honestly as I can because okay, I think good. it did change. I, I think originally it was because I I liked. First of all, I, I liked. You know, we always had all the show albums. I was good to go with the Music Man when I was eight. By the way, <laughs> I don't know that my performance had changed that much. <laughs> I was good to go. Um, I, but I think being around it as a child and associating you know, uh, on a very primitive level, the theater with feelings of happiness and adults who are fun and treat me with respect, you know, and, uh, what was the uh, first I think Broadway I, show you saw? Do you remember? Pippin. Pippin. I just saw Pippin, Pippin for the first old. time. That was, that was quite an evening. Pippin oh, in my top three. Pippin. I just saw, I just saw it three years ago with the current cat, two years ago with the most recent first, cast. Right. First time I've Our ever double. seen it in my top three of all time. It was brilliant just a brilliant show i was nine it was my brother's my brother's two years older so it was you know it was his birthday present and you know mom said we're going to see a musical about medieval times and i was like listen (laughs) there are many there's a lot of stuff that can be done around the house but i was happy and this is a one she said i think you're gonna like this i was like all right. And literally up to the last moment was, I'm happy to wait in the car. Yeah. You know, this New York, very dangerous city. You know, but we went to Howard Johnson's for dinner. So we did went- we. No, we went to the we went to the Hulu Al 400, actually, when we saw all of with Davy Jones. But but I used uh, to go to the Howard Johnson's and eat fried clams well, and, and frankfurters. Course. Right? Of course. Yeah. And then wonder, why does the theater smell like so <laughs> terrible? Because everybody else was having fried clams. Uh you know, um, I, 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 I remember that part of it, like sitting down in the theater and just really just going, oh, boy. And then the lights come up and the way it was staged then there was the, there was just a wall of smoke and these hands emerged. You saw and Ben just, Vereen? Well, then what happened was Ben Vereen steps out and I went, that's the coolest man I've ever seen. And I'm oh. telling you. The six million dollar man was on television at this time, and I was like, "That <laughs> guy is the cool." He had the beard and you the velvet thing. You got to see it thing. with Ben Vereen. Oh, oh my God. God! And from I just I just went like this, and then the women. So it, I was just, <laughs> uh, what's, uh, 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 
I, I really, it was the only way I could explain is when you see like a car turn into a transformer, second transformer reference ever. That's what was happening. I was like, <laughs> everything was growing. And I was like, that's a job you can get. People do this instead of going, sitting in an office and counting things. I think I want to have, a, that'll be my job. Yeah. Let's watch the rest of the show. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And I, I was too young to really, I mean, I could follow the, you know, the storyline, but the references, I was too young. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, but to see something, to see something, spoiler alert, that ends with stripping, <laughs> the, strip down the, stripping down the, the illusions of what theater is, mm -hmm. none of which I'd really ever seen. I started with, we're going to kick the shit out of theater right now. We're going to take on all the lights and basically tell you that all the, illu the illusion is devil. It's the devil. Now, here you are with just your love. How do you like that? And you don't even get, at that point, you got, how do you feel? You, and you want to hear, it's enough. You know, that's the lesson. He found love. He found what he was looking for. He says, trapped. And that's it. And then they go, ta-da! And that's the play. And I I think that was something that Fosse insisted on and Schwartz didn't want. Schwartz wanted it to end like a musical mm. should end. And there's an, and I think for a long time, that's the way, you know, in, in, in the versions that were sent around the country, that's the way it ended. Mm -hmm. I don't, I think they ended it the original way. Mm -hmm. I didn't see the new production. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but I thought, my God, I knew enough to know that shows should end up with, that's great. Let's go home. You know, like, and it ended up with people sat there just going, oh, yeah. you know, and, and unable to look at the person they're with because that's how everybody feels, you know, at some point. Mm -hmm. And I just thought this was amazing. Plus the women, I couldn't get over that. I couldn't get over. And then seeing dance live for the first time and have it be fossils, yeah. uh, it kind of ruins you for yeah, anything yeah. that anybody ever does uh it was it was just so and it was really it was truly a sexual sensual experience and i'm nine you know mm -hmm. I, I was maybe barbara eden's maybe <laughs> barbara, but that was still a year away from you know uh, it was uh, so i think a lot of it was i i'm i'm you're chasing that feeling mm -hmm. and, and so and, have you gotten to so I'm thinking you've gotten to. Ha I'm I'm thinking a standing O, on Broadway, doing the Music Man is pretty close to having that feeling. I think I learned. Uh, more ironic. I mean, to make it even more cloying is, I, that's what I would expect for most of my life. I was searching for. I want to be on stage doing something like Pippin, mm -hmm. but what I felt more like was Pippin, which was um, I. I don't think there was one night because I, I remember I wasn't with anybody and I had, and I remember, Oh, I was dating someone in the show. Mm -hmm. Always a good idea. <laughs> and we broke up opening night. Nice. <laughs> so that was God going, you'll never do that again. Will you? <laughs> because I had to go through the entire year with this person I'd broken up with, uh, which was, so no, I would never will. But, uh, I, I Wait, so explain yes. what that feeling was. So, so there were so so there were standing ovations and it's a and I would feel very proud, but I felt proud the way I would if I was had done anything that I'd set out to do and was getting and had done it well. A dentist who just goes, I made her mouth better. 
Okay, Honestly, how, how about I, getting nominated for a Tony Award? D- was that the at same? That point, well, I have a shrink. He's kind of, I don't know if you, Phil Stutz. <laughs> Phil Stutz, who wrote a book called The Tools. And I, you know, before I went to New York to start rehearsal, now I really get into where my head was at. I just said, I can't do this. They're going to kill me. They haven't done this play for 50 years because they can't find a guy because they found a wizard who was born to do this part. And now I'm going to go do it. They're going to kill me. He goes, okay. He talks like this. Oh, okay. Uh, you could not do it, but I'm going to promise you. And he's never been wrong about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, a brilliant, brilliant man. He goes, so you could not do it, but it's your karma to face that. So if you don't do it, it'll come back with teeth. <laughs> you don't do it like that. It'll have flaws. And every time you turn it down, and if you don't do it in this life, your next life, oh, don't visit me wherever I am. In my next <laughs> you know, and um, he sort of believed that, you know, you're on, you're on a certain path mm-hmm. and that you are fated to do and not do certain things. Let's talk and, about this. Let's talk about this. Do you, do you, I, I, do you believe this? Yes, I do. I've, I've, uh, because I was so scared uh, and I ha- ha- was going through a, a difficult uh, breakup at the same time, mm-hmm. I just thought, I can't take the way I feel and put it in front of people with a fucking feather in my hat and pretend, you know, that's not, not going to work. He said, not only is it going to work, if you do everything I'm telling you, it's going to probably be the best work you will ever do. Wow. Unless you keep thinking this way and then you'll just get better and better. Mm. But then you'd have to stop being a putz, you know. <laughs> I love. Um, so do you yes. do you take that? Okay, so do you take that with you? Like, okay, you have the the, the most famous turndown of all time, turning down Chandler and Friends, as uh, everybody in the on the universe knows, because you've been asked that question a million times. I don't care about that as much as I care about. Do you believe that that happened for a reason? I don't believe that there is a version of my life where I was going to do friends. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't believe that there's a version of Pete Best's life that he was going to be a Beatle. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, and first so of all, you believe that you are living the version of your life that they're... I believe, and he's been public about it, so mm-hmm. I, I can say this, and I think he would tend to agree. I was, Matthew's my, one of my closest friends. Right, he was on and that, I, Sydney, you met on Sydney, correct? I met him on Sydney, and the day I met him, I said, this is one of the funniest guys I've ever met. I've met really funny people. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy was 22, I was 25, which is like, at that age, it's the difference between 50 and 4. Right. right? <laughs> and and I, so, this guy is so, I mean, there was something, it took me a while to figure out what it was, mm-hmm. and like everybody else, I just started acquiring bits and pieces of him. You look at someone like Nathan Lane, who's a deeply talented, unbelievably, you know, comic rich person. But if you sliced him, first of all, you wouldn't want to do that. That's an unpleasant <laughs> thing to do. But if you slice him apart, if you were to slice a great comic actor like Nathan Lane apart, you get Gleason, you get, right. uh, you know, uh, Mel Brooks, you get uh, um, uh, Sid Zero Caesar. Mastel. Zero Mostel. They're all in there. And with me, too. And what happens is there's an illusion because nobody looks like these people. You can't tell. Do you know that Woody Allen, early in his career, they said, wow, you're so funny. How come? What is it that you're doing in films? He goes, I'm doing Bob Hope. All I'm doing is saying, <laughs> how would Bob Hope say this? But because you're seeing Woody right. Allen, 
had you don't that. make the association. Yeah. But he did say that. He said, mm-hmm. I'm just at that point. I never acted. So I just said, Bob Hope's funny. I love him. I'll just do it the way he would do it. So he'd write a guy in trouble, but it looks different mm-hmm. when you see him doing it. Uh, but if you know, go back and watch something like Sleeper or, you know, Bananas. I saw him on Broadway and play it against Sam. You did? What was that like? I was in the first row. He spit all over me, and I loved every second of it. Him and Diane Keaton, it was pretty amazing. Yeah. It was extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. So Okay, so so you did Matthew Perry when you went in to play Chandler, I, I've heard you say. Is that true? I did. I, I, had, I was, yeah, there was even more. Uh, at that point, uh, I had a deal with NBC. So, uh, you know, I, I was, I just figured I'll end up on an NBC show. It'll mm-hmm. just be my choice. But what they do is they pay you a certain amount of money and you stick around. And then the really good shows you have to audition for with everybody else. And I was like, yeah, but I have a deal. And they're like, what you didn't read was the bottom part that says, fuck your deal. <laughs> That's just money so that we, you don't end up in an ABC show. you got to audition for the good shit. At that point, there was a show called Best Friends and Friends. You know this part. This is the part that I tell all the time. But Friends was called Six of One at that time. Mm-hmm. But there was a show called Best Friends mm-hmm. that I liked very much. It was a, about a father who was a writer, mm-hmm. uh, stayed at home and wrote, and his daughter. And they found this remarkable 12-year-old girl who was terrific. Mm-hmm. James Burroughs was directing both of them. I asked him, I said, Which one, Which James? One I, <laughs> I did. I Don't said, tell I me he picked Best Friends. No. He said, he said, I can't, I don't know. They're both great. Wow. And you greater than either one of them. And when I read... Friends, what up? My feeling was it's funny. Mm-hmm. I would have, I think I said, I, I'd like to audition for Ross, but they'd already chosen David Schwimmer, who I knew from Northwestern. Mm-hmm. I said, Well, you've got a great Ross, mm-hmm. he's going to be terrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the natural choice, I think, was uh, was to go in for Joey. And I think we all looked at each other after my audition and went, No one should ever have to see something like that. That was just <laughs> terrible. And they said, Come in. They said, They said, and I thought it was all over, you know, because. What they wanted for Chandler was like a, a young Woody Allen. They wanted a Dinabashi, the guy, the guy who's right. cracking jokes in the background. Mm-hmm. They called me over the weekend and they said, we've been thinking, because I went in and I auditioned for him. Mm-hmm. And I, when I went in and I auditioned, I very much used the timing that I had uh, accumulated. Mm-hmm. A lot of it, I mean, I have my own sense of timing. Of but I remember moments where I would say things like, Matthew, you know, the accent, the real strange word. Or, mm-hmm. Um, I actually know the moment I got the part, which was, was, uh, I'm telling a story. I said, I had a dream where, uh, my, uh, my penis disappeared and, uh, I took my pants off and there was a phone there (laughs) and someone, and I think Rachel says a phone and I went, yes, sir. And that was the moment I saw all the people like this. They were like, funny guy. And that was the moment I knew I, knew I got the part. I knew really? I got it. And they said, we, we, we're thinking we're going to make him like, he's like a young Ryan O'Neal. That's how we, long ago this was. Wow. He's like a young mm-hmm. Ryan O'Neal who everybody assumes is competent, but he's inside, he's Woody Allen, which I thought was interesting. That is but interesting. But it's still the guy at the end of the day, if you read the pilot, and that's all you get as a pilot. Mm-hmm. It's, it was about, it looked like it was going to be a show about a guy getting over you know, his, his, uh, divorce mm-hmm. and falling in love with his, this girl that he used to have a crush on Rachel. That's what it read like. Mm-hmm. It also read like Seinfeld, but to me it wasn't as funny as Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and the way I can always tell if someone's in Hollywood or not really in Hollywood is when they say you, you were offered friends and didn't do it as if the whole catalog had already been filmed. 
and every and the money had already been paid. And okay. What I really all right. So that's what that's what I want to ask you. The, the, I could listen to this entire prefer, story all night. I heard the other show. Uh, okay. And, and I prefer, and I took it. And, did you and, have? And, did you have? At, did you ever have regret? I mean, I would imagine you had a moment of regret in all of these years. Of course I did, but that. But did you not beat yourself up over it? Did you accept it that this is your destiny, that wasn't your path? Or did, did, you, did you suffer it at all? In Hollywood, it's as if people have these, you know, these strings, these like nylon strings attached to them, and success yanks them up into the clouds, and you just, you don't, you, you were like, where the hell was Jack? He was just here. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, it's very strange. And, and you know, uh, it, that was hard to know that my friend was doing and I, doing something uh, that, you know, upon reflection as the show developed, I thought oh, they put me on another show, uh, a Dabney Coleman show, which I wasn't enjoying and wasn't funny. Dabney. And as Friends evolved, I was like, it's very funny. Mm -hmm. And what I predicted was not the case. They're very much doing it an ensemble thing. Mm -hmm. And then it replaced Christianity. <laughs> and I thought... <laughs> Craig made an error. And, for, you know, and then uh, Caroline Ray had the greatest line and said, You're, you are the Pete Best of situation comedy. <laughs> uh, so uh, what, at what point did here, your career... I'll tell you. Okay. I'll tell you. Go if ahead. you stop asking me, I'll answer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Am I right? Louise? Uh, Justin, is he right? Okay. Uh, I, I'm telling you, I, I, I owe so much of the way my mind works, which is, you know, Off I'm 89% happy with, uh, <laughs> is, is because whatever I didn't get, you know, growing, when I growing up without a father, mm -hmm. which is someone who should take you out in the backyard and go, here's how you throw a punch. Here's how you catch a ball. Uh, not everybody in the world is going to think you're adorable. So <laughs> next time you think of saying something like that, Maybe you shouldn't. You know, I had to learn those things on my own. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had someone like Phil, who was very smart. At 25, I went in to meet him at the suggestion of a friend because I was I realized I'm going through a breakup and I'm in a, so much pain. I can't think straight. And my friend said, why don't you go take take my session and, and go meet this guy? He's amazing. And uh, he was he was absolutely amazing. He, I talked for 50 minutes, and everybody tells the same story because I think it's the way he treats most young guys. Uh, but I was aware that he, 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 he worked with a lot of actors and a lot of big studio people, so show business didn't impress him. Mm -hmm. uh, and I talked for 50 minutes. He goes, okay, I'm going to stop you. Come back next week. Your, your diagnosis is you're a big fucking baby, <laughs> and I'm going to make a lot of money. I'll see you next <laughs> week at 4.30. And, you know... Uh, it, it was very funny, but the, the truth is I was a 25-year-old guy who was like, wanted to figure out how do, I, how do I become a guy who thinks, by the, so that by the time I'm 30, I'm thinking like a 30-year-old. And, and I worked, uh, you know, I worked hard. Okay, so, so, so at what so, point? So, so when the Friends thing happened, yeah. I said, what's the healthy way to think about something like this? Because this isn't routine. Mm -hmm. And I am, you know, it's almost like a twilight zone. I wanted to be famous and I am now. I'm the guy who walks into a restaurant and people say, he passed out of friends. Like I bit <laughs> into a tumor, you know, on purpose, you know? And, and it was, I thought, I'm, it's, I, I knew immediately, this will be, this is one of those things that goes into your obituary. This is like, you know, 
I don't get to make a choice about it. I'm not going to kill myself. Um, I am. There's a part of me that's man enough to be happy for Matthew. I don't want to be around it right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, I knew that wouldn't last forever. But yes, there was. It was. It was painful because it's like, do you want to get on bus A or bus B? And that's all they tell you. And you get it. Say uh, B. And B is going to Passaic, and bus A is uh, is it's just filled with Playboy models, and uh, it's the going to land of everything you ever want. But the truth is, there's no bus A. There's your there's bus. bus B. Yeah, your there's bus. your bus. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I got on the. You know, you can't make mistakes. If if you are making a mistake and, and thinking and, and you're acting with good intention, you can't make a mistake. It takes a lot of pressure off of mm-hmm. you. You may not like the result. Mm-hmm. The smartest thing he said, uh, my shrink said about uh, facing the pressure of, uh, and I, I can tie this to the friends thing because they're, they're one and the same. Uh, the smartest thing that he said to me about my fear of doing the music man was, we're going to talk about this, but by the time you get to New York, I had about a month. First of all, there's no cure for agita and fear mm-hmm. other than preparation. There's no pill. There's no. So what did they suggest? They said, well, she said, get into a dance class. He goes, the minute you leave the office, you get into a dance class. You go every day because you don't want to not have done everything you can to prepare. And he was absolutely right. Mm-hmm. So I went to dance class and it was hard, humiliating. I cried a lot, you know, um, but uh, it was a good thing because I was at least able to count to eight by the time I got to New York, you know. But I was not a good dancer. I will never be a great dancer. I don't, I'm not driven to do that. And what, you, what a lot of people don't realize on Broadway is the leading woman is usually leading. Interesting. Because guys are the big goofy guy who looks like a leading man probably spent more time playing football than, you know. Mm-hmm. You know uh, and, and, but Rebecca Luker led every dance. You know, and made it look like I was leading. Rebecca Luker was one of those angels. Like, I, I, Jesus. Okay, so oh, wait. so he told me that that's. So he told me uh, that there's you, for, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to do everything that you can do to mm-hmm. deal with the anxiety of doing it. If you decide to do with it, which by then I had, mm-hmm. you're going to do everything you can. This is your medicine. There's no pill. There's nothing. There's no drinking. That's that's obviously isn't going to do. There is practicing and getting ready mm-hmm. and you work in conjunction with them. Call them, tell them what will help. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the other thing you need and you're not going to like is whatever happens, none of your fucking business. None of your business. That's very clancy, by the way. Result goes, if you're result oriented, mm-hmm. if you if they write the days, if you've worked as hard as you can and every review is somebody just took a shit on Broadway it's none of your fucking business. Mm-hmm. Not if you work as what you want, where we want you, and where everybody you, who, who thinks they, you know, who wants mm-hmm. peace of mind is, I did the very best I could. And I know I did the very best I could because what's the killer is regret. Mm-hmm. That's what you need to drink away or act away or screw away is regret. And so My, have you been able to live in that place? Are you able to embody that? Because that's, yeah, that's my goal every day. Uh, well, look, Phil went in for an operation once and I got really scared because I realized, oh, I think of him like my dad. And he said, no, I'm glad you brought it up. Never not say something like that. He goes, I'm going, there's a 2% chance that anything can happen. It's a very routine operation. 
But if something does happen, the only thing I want from you is that you keep using what I told you and get stronger and stronger because there's no, I said, but you must have used your tools. You wrote the book. Mm -hmm. Literally, you wrote the mm -hmm. book. He goes, no, I'm, a, I'm another scared person on the world. I was just shitting my pants afraid. <laughs> no, and it was, he said, not every, you know, it's, it's not about becoming the Buddha. It's about falling off into the water, getting back on trail and going, I've got to try to be the Buddha. That's the Buddha. That's why they say if you ever meet the Buddha on a road, kill him, because there's nothing but trying and progress. And so That's do you feel that you're in that place? Do you make that conscious decision when you catch yourself? Often. When I catch myself, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, it was it was like the, the going down to lose the weight. was. That's the best part of me, which was... I all I want to do is sit around and moan about how bad I feel that things haven't worked. I mean, I ended this relationship. I could call it up and start this madness up again. Uh, but I knew, no, I'm I'm going to t I'm going to make the choice that's going to hurt. It's going to suck the first two weeks because I worked out before. But I remember me. I'd like to see me again. I'm in there somewhere in this group of me. But I got we got to lose some of these guys. It was nice to have a couple of double of D's that I, I'll tell you, double D tits, boy, that was nice. <laughs> but I, 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 I didn't recognize myself. And I was I thought I, this is whatever weakness is that I fight inside mm -hmm. uh, is now emerging and it's going it's covering me. And um, and I I don't want to get it's too convoluted, but, you know, your worst, you're constantly standing in the middle of your violent instincts and your weak instincts, mm -hmm. the fear and the anger. You're arbitrating between the two of them, constantly negotiating between these two aspects of your shadow. And uh, you are the boss. You say, no, you don't actually get to go get a pipe and hit her. You know, we don't get to do that. <laughs> get to listen to her, say your piece, and then maybe it won't work out. And then we'll go punch a car together. But we're not going to do that. And for this, you need to stop crying and be quiet. I'm right here. Don't worry. I'm not leaving you. I'm, I'm right here, and I'll never leave you. I see you, and I love you. That's what you do. That one I bought on stage with me every night during the Music Man. That's Winthrop. I was That's just going to ask, so how do you apply this to your work? Yeah, so you do apply well, this to your work. Well, powerful states of mind. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe not the way I explained it, but when you are working with somebody like Phil and, and you, ha you understand, it took me a while to understand, yeah, we ha there are, these are two, we're asked to act in a certain way. We're literally schooled to mm -hmm talk this way and don't do certain things during the conversation. And there are, there are politically correct things to say and impolitically correct things to say. And then there are people who are going to try to sell you on a version of politically correct, you know, and change, you know, change things up on you. And you're going to be, so know who you are, how you define the world. Mm -hmm. And that's what the friends was the beginning of the death of caring what anybody else thinks of me. Ah. Now I do care what people think of mm -hmm. me. But not nearly as much. I mean, enough to say that enough that I am human and I'm not a narcissist. Uh, but I no longer I don't read a review. I haven't read a word about myself since then. Wow. Uh, the, there was a very powerful phrase that he uh, Phil used. He said reviews are for hacks and losers. 
if you're reading a review, it's because you're trying to inoculate yourself from the pain that comes with what you do. And, and the joke is you took this job to cut corners. So you learned nobody gets to cut corners. It's all a job. What, in fact, what actors do is they add corners. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, you get, there's a lot more rejection. You know, there's a lot of, um, but if you work at understanding the worth of that rejection, which is, um, oftentimes you don't, you, you, you it's meaningless because you didn't get the part because your hair color isn't right or too tall for the girl that they cast, mm-hmm. you know, it, or they sometimes, you know, they didn't think you were good, but you never know which one it is. Mm-hmm. So, so not to take it personally because nothing is personal. Yeah. The one of those four agreements, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, 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 well, I know from a 12 step right, kind of thing that it's a, yeah, it's a great, well, I think it's a pretty common thing in a lot of uh, spiritual practices. But for me, it was just common sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a revelation to me to learn nobody's ever thinking of anybody else for more than 15 seconds. We all The gravity always goes back to. So what stopped hurting was you had friends and you passed because I realized, yeah, if it happened to you, you know, maybe you would have shot yourself, <laughs> you know. Uh, and I think it was supposed it was supposed this guy, Phil, said you were supposed to survive not doing it, and uh, Matthew was supposed to survive doing it. If you followed Matthew's career, he's still exceptionally talented. Mm-hmm. He is still the gifted guy I met that first day. But uh, and, but what has fame done yes. but challenge his desire to stay alive? Mm-hmm. And, and what are you willing to give up in order to stay alive? And, uh, and, and what I needed to give up my, my, my drug of choice wasn't the same stuff. Getting friends wouldn't, I don't think doing friends would have pushed me the way my life ended up pushing me and made me a stronger person. Uh, if I did friends, for example, I told you how grateful I was that there, you are among, and they're usually women by the way, but, but you're, you're one of seven or eight women who've come up to me and said, you need to write. You do. And you actually invited me, created, you know, the reason I showed up so late was because I learned, oh, you know what? I, I write and write and write. And usually it's the thing I need to get out of the way before I write the thing I really want to write really quickly. Which and is what, what you I, did. You brought two things, right? That's why that happened. I came with the fir- my first brilliant idea was women write. What am I going to talk about? And I thought I'm going to just talk into my phone mm-hmm. for 11 blocks, and then I'm going to go home and transcribe it. You know, set it on slow and transcribe it, and I'm going to just use this as an experiment and see this. And what I learned was how difficult I am to understand, <laughs> and how much I say um and er, and and how, and I learned an awful lot how thoughts will change and. Mm-hmm bridging ideas and how hard that is to take somebody along with you when you're changing ideas. I learned a lot, uh, but it wasn't necessarily going to be interesting. It was going to be like me reading a transcript of me talking to myself. But what came out of the way and what I started writing, I think the day before or maybe even that morning. I think you said you started it that day, yeah. It poured out of me, and it's it's still something I read. And, and, and it's part of something, a bigger thing than I'm writing. Parts Fantastic. of it are. Um, 
it, it was, it, I had to get this boulder out of the way. And then the thing, and I thought, what the hell am I going to do? I got to go. And, um, and that hasn't, you know, that's bitten me on the ass before. It doesn't always work out that way. I learned an awful lot. A couple years after that, I got a gig uh, writing for a web series, and one episode of a web series. Uh, and uh, the director, this guy, Michael Kang, very talented guy, I wrote something that I liked very much. It, it, they all had to take place in a, in a, a bedroom. It, I, it I saw it. Sweet I seven? watched it. Yes, yes, I watched well, it. Mine wasn't, I don't, did I show you mine? Or did, I, I did, saw your, I saw you. Mine was not included in the series. They took it out. They took it out. I saw and one that reason, you acted in. You were in a bedroom. Oh, then maybe I did show you. Yeah, maybe yeah. I should, I, there's a copy of mine somewhere. I like it very much, mm -hmm. but it looks like a final rehearsal or something like that. Because what happened was I had a complete script and I liked it a lot. It was about, it was two businessmen, one guy, uh, and one guy blows the deal, uh, because he gets into an argument with the head of the company. Who's this young kid who's into comic books. You know, he's like, he's like 24 graphic novels. And I start an argument with him and say, I'm, I'm telling you Superman is not, he's an asshole because he's the best looking guy in the world. He can't be killed. So he's not brave. And people call him Superman and he lets them. Plus, what's with the unitard? This is a gay narcissist man who isn't doing anything special. And it's all attention. And I don't like the guy. And the guy goes and we get into a big fight. And and George Newbern was playing my business part. He goes, he goes, I can't believe what I just saw. You just got it. We just lost this account because over Superman. I went. I know, I know, but am I not right? And he goes, call him back. And then the whole thing, he calls him back. It's a, it was a good piece. Call him back and apologize. And I apologize and I say, I was actually a Spider-Man fan myself. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I will tell you, I don't understand. The guy is, gets the powers of a spider. He's wearing gloves and shoes. So I don't understand why he's not sliding off the stupid build. Kind of, and I get into the same argument again. He hangs up on me. And my friend just goes, leans back. And, and uh, it, that was, and it was a good piece and uh, I still have it and it's 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 something I'm using in something else but all right listen my, we, we, we've been talking a long time said, and I, my, well, I my director said rewrite it and I did and I I wasn't done so I showed up with nothing that morning and we had to improvise the whole thing wow I learned when I worked with you it doesn't matter if it's the last minute get it done get it done try to get it done a few days before <laughs> And the other one was the bad example of, I, I don't know why. I should have just told the director to stay with me because I won't be able to do it yet alone. You know, that was, there was a lesson in that you said, do you now has, do you carry this stuff with you that I learned during the music man doing mm -hmm. this? It's still, I, it's like, I have it's shoving Microsoft into a Mac software into a Mac because it's not, my, I'm a, I'm a lazy person. You uh, said I'm a, I'm a, I'm a unitasker. But, um, yeah, but a multi... I'm a, I'm, I am a, a, a... Oh, what was the line? It was... Unitasker in the body of a multi... Oh, no. oh I'm a multitask, a multi-thinker with the body of a unitasker. Something like that. It was, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Can't, I mean, I have... I mean, I'm riddled with ADD. I call it the scatter cancer. And, I t and, and that was another thing. I was friends with Carrie Fisher, who wears her mental illness like a fucking badge, <laughs> which takes half of it away.
you know, uh, the, there's, there's no shame involved with any of it. So yeah, ADD, listen, if you're going to have something, this is the one I recommend. <laughs> All right. All right, Mr. ADD. Okay, stop. Because we, we, I, I have like two more questions and then, and then we have to go oh. because, but, but I, I, yeah. Okay. So when did you realize that, I mean, it looks to me like this unreal is sort of your friends. I mean, I can't, did you have any clue that this was going to break big like that? I mean, this is just huge. Oh, I don't, I definitely don't have a sense of that. Uh, it's I have huge. A, it's huge. What I have I'll tell you what I have a sense of, which you might be able to to relate to, is um, I am so grateful mm-hmm. every second. This isn't a show that I'm carrying on my shoulders. This is a show that's it's uh, in the way Boston Legal was a romance between William Shatner, you know, James Spader. Mm-hmm. This is the a love story between Constance and Shearer. It's this beautiful. is this, it's this, a beautiful this, thing. A, a, a pro feminist female centric storyline and i am you know they gotta have a guy because the women need time to inhale for their next line it's a little bit more than that uh i I love my character i'll be visiting a team of psychiatrists for the rest of my life because i've been told the character was written for me uh uh, it's the most fun i've ever had playing a character uh and uh and i like the fact that he figures and people think they figure him out there are people who, I mean, I've, I go online. I don't have a problem going online. And they ask us to engage about mm-hmm. the show. Uh, and I love seeing how people react. There are people who I can't believe she's going back to Chet. She likes Chet. What is Chet? And, and then Chet goes, they have him do something that's arguably heroic because he yes. loves mm-hmm. these people in a you know what? Every good show is about a bunch of people who wish they were somewhere else and they're stuck in a room together mm-hmm. doing what they don't want to do. Cheers, taxi. Not all of them, you know, but a lot of these ensemble shows, you know, it's all about getting people who lack together and and together they're a whole Mm -hmm. and they function. And this is a very dark, uh, unsettling version of that. You know, I don't want to spoil, but this is you're watching a family uh, form around people who don't have families. Mm -hmm. And And, and, uh, for you as an actor, is this. This feels like A-game stuff. I mean, this feels like something really important for you. Well, the two, it the does two, to me. Yes. I, I, don't, I, I mean, I can't think of it in terms of like, this is my friends, because, listen, you can disappear from a show like that. I did a few episodes of Damages, and when I, I knew all, all I'm going to do is my scenes are all with Ted Danson. And I'm working for, I'm doing like four episodes or something. I'm like, I'm so thrilled. And he is as nice as you want him to be. He's just like Ted Danson. Mm-hmm. But they don't tell you on that show or didn't tell you what's happening. I might have been coming there to kill him. So meeting him was a little strange because was I about to take a job away from him? I'm, I was literally going to play kind of a doppelganger. I was going to mm-hmm. play him in a movie that he was making about himself. Uh, and it was, it, it, it was unsettling. This show, it's not, it's not the same as Damages in that way. But the thing that I learned when I was, did Damages was they said, don't, don't act. Don't, you're acting a little here. Don't act. Uh, you're sitting at a table with the best poker players in the world, and you are one of them. And that's, that helps me more than not with this show. These people, uh, it's not, as far as I'm concerned, I, I'm not playing Mike Fleiss. I've never seen this guy, and I've never, I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't know him if I saw him on the street. What I was told was to play a guy who uh, he, he puts his needs first, he does what he has to do for his show, and he's also horny and he's an addict. Mm-hmm. 
you know? So these things are all conflicting and I just keep those things in mind. I let those parts out of myself mm-hmm. and, I, and the best work I've ever done, it's, it's weird to take credit for because it doesn't feel, I, I've gotten myself to a point where I, I'm not at, in Cinderella Man, which was one of my, personally one of my favorite things, mm-hmm. I was in a ring in a, in a situation with an actor who we, together we created a palpable tension and, and it worked. And so we were, you know, it was choreographed and we're dancing. And yet there was this visceral thing happening with music, man. Um, I didn't realize how the loss of a love would feed what Harold Hill is, because the truth is if Harold Hill finished running away from the town, if he actually made it, He'd be lost forever, and so would Marion. This was their last chance. I've never said this before, but I was actually a little young to play that part. Mm-hmm. Now I think I would be the right age. Mm-hmm. It, this is a part where you have to believe if these two don't end up together, it's over. Mm-hmm. You know? So, uh, so I know. It, with You said, do I – I can't think of it like, is this friends? Because then I could just, that's just a freak out machine. Mm-hmm. It, it isn't. It isn't. It, it's a great ensemble. I, 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 it's more. No, no, about, no, no, no. I didn't mean it that way. I meant that this is, this is what you were meant to do. I meant, oh, yes, I, I didn't yes. mean it in terms of an equivalent sure. to friends. I just meant for you yes, at this I stage of your career, just, this I, is your I road, I right? Definitely believe life works and you are fated to do certain things. Now, this was fated to be in my life, but if I didn't work my ass off, maybe if I didn't go and go, you know what, I don't care. They might want to fire me because they didn't want me to lose the weight for the first season. I was going to lose it before I started. I had time to do it. They said, read the script again. And I did. And I thought, this guy is going to see it. This will help me. Uh, But I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And I knew why it was really happening. What I needed to do was get under the hood and fix some problems, mm-hmm. which I did. Mm-hmm. That's the strongest part of me. And uh, I came back and I did think, I'm going to tell them, I called them from the place. I said, I'm here to lose the weight. I don't know what that does to Chet. And they said, it means that we figure that out. Cool. You know? uh, and they wanted to address masculinity anyway. So it actually dovetailed very nicely. Well, have them come back from one of these masculinity camps from, you know, throwing spears around. It wasn't really addressed very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sherry was very smart. Sherry was, Sherry, when she directed her episodes, was very smart. And she's an excellent director because she, she's a multi-thinker and multitasker. She said, I want to take one of the scenes. I'm a multi-thinker I, and a unitasker. That's what your line was. That's what it is. She is a multi-everything. Mm-hmm. And she, she, uh. She said, do you have anything that you, anything about the script coming up? I said, we had the whole thing about what happened. He came in from this camp and then we never addressed it again. He goes, okay, I want to put, I'm going to have, there's a very funny guy on the show. Oh, uh, oh, he's going to kill me because I'm blanking on his name, but it's only because I'm old. But he's, but he's a really, really funny guy. He said, we're going to have him make you a health drink while you're talking to Quinn on the phone about something instead of just doing a walk and talk. Uh, and, uh, it was a very smart decision because it said, oh yeah, that's why this is, it, it just brought up the theme again. And, uh, I don't know what's going to happen next season. You won't be fat. Uh, but you know, I think what happened this, it's, so, these guys are being beaten into something. And, um, uh, and, and All right, wait. The, okay. That's, I, that segues me because I, we, we have to go. We have to go, but but I I want to ask you a last okay. question. I'm, if you don't mind, when, the, when I turn the computer off, I'm going to stay here and keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay. All right. <laughs> you can call me on the phone, and we, we could talk when I drive okay. home. So, so, do you have a guilty pleasure? Does Craig Bierko have a guilty pleasure? Um, guilty pleasure. Whether it be food, music, an activity, is there anything that you do? I ask this question because. I'm interviewing my heroes, people that are, you are one of them, doing what you love and being successful at it and uh, said being a role model for the rest of us. And, but well, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to call the monkeys a guilty pleasure. We, I can't believe we haven't discussed the monkeys. I but, can't. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, when people say, uh, I like Unreal, it's a guilty pleasure. I'm like, yeah, we're working 17 hours a day. I'm sorry you feel guilty about enjoying <laughs> it, but I don't need, pleasure's fine. Pleasure is enough, you know. Uh, I've always, I, I, I don't know if that's what you meant, but uh, I, I'm, I'm so signed on as a Monkees fan that I, I want are. to be part of the machine that ensures that they get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't value awards or, or that type of thing uh, in the least. I, I think they're childish, mm -hmm. and I think they're marketing. But I know that uh, it's... They're such a great story. The truth is, I never really liked the show all that much. I like their music. Oh, see, and I like the show, and I came to the music much later. But I'm yeah, older than you. I think I like watching Mike on the show because I love I love that this guy was like, I can't wait to get out of here. Are we still shooting? Like that's the <laughs> attitude he had. I just loved him. Um, but you can, I, that does get to qualify for a guilty pleasure for you because you were a hardcore monkey fan when it wasn't cool to be a monkey that's fan. That's right. Right? Because it's, it's cool again true. now. I they can also say that they had a big part of my creative development. You know, there was a time before the internet and before cable where uh, I had the, my uncle was in the music business, you know, so he, he, I think I had a signed Monkeys album at one point. Headquarters, it's gone now. Who knew? <laughs> but I also had Head, I had the album Head. I put that on and I was like, what? How is this sleepy gene? I listened to Circle Sky. I listened to the, to the talking, the interstitial talking. And the themes, even as a 10-year-old, I'm like, this is mean. This sounds closer to the kind of shit my brother's listening to, which is mean, you know, and real and rock, rock and roll. And I didn't, I would spend hours and hours and hours. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good artist. I like to draw. And I spent hours listening to that album over and over again, trying to imagine what was going on. I'm listening to the goofy monkeys, and they're talking about uh, never lend money to a man with a sense of humor. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, and then him going off the same thing goes for Christmas. <gasps> and I'm jumping off of a bridge, and like, I'm like, even that sound at the beginning, nah, 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 there was something so creepy and haunted. That I really developed a taste for dichotomy of taking one of the projects I'm writing right now is it's it wouldn't have happened I think if I didn't have that experience. It's the difference between this very light, frivolous kind of you know, affection and the worst of us, you know, which was you know the beginning of um, uh, Blue Velvet when you go down through the lawn and then you see the ants eating each other and the. The beauty of life and the ugliness together, that duality. And uh, uh, what did you ask? How did I end up here? I don't know, Jesus. but we have to go because I'm, I'm like, I'm going to get killed here because, uh, yeah, we've been talking a long time, but I could talk to you all night. Thank you so much, Craig. Bye-bye. Oh, all right, Vicki. Good luck with the rest of the show. Thank you. Right. So, Justin, I think for me, the takeaway with, uh, with Craig 
is that if something doesn't happen, it wasn't meant to be. He was not meant to be Chandler. That was never his part. That was never his destiny. Um, Craig, like myself, we are fatalists. We do believe in destiny. I do believe in destiny. I'll speak for myself. And I don't believe there are any accidents or any mistakes. Everything happens for a reason. And everything that happens is ultimately for our betterment, I believe. And so if something seems like, oh my God, I didn't get Chandler and Friends became the biggest thing in the world. Well, I think Craig's greatest successes are still ahead of him. I mean, he, you know, Unreal's been a huge success for him. Okay, it's not Friends yet, but, you know, we don't know where that's going to go. Um, he just was cast in the Steve Martin show. Um, he's uh, starting rehearsals this week in, at the Long Wharf Theater, and you never oh, know wow. when one of those is going to go to Broadway, and it's going to be the biggest thing that ever happened. I mean, he's already t was once Tony nominated for The Music Man. So also, he wouldn't have become involved with Loma Linda's Children's Hospital, which is something that he's raised a shit ton of money for and made incredible public awareness to, um, to help children with heart defects and stuff. And he's done a lot for that charity. Uh, well, charity. He's done a lot for that hospital and for those children. So we all have our purpose. When I was in that car accident um, in July, you know, somebody pointed out to me, reminded me that Maybe if I wasn't in that car accident, I would have been in a far worse one later that night with by with a drunk person who Scott, who knows? Maybe I was saved from something. Maybe there was something wrong with my eleven year old car that I hadn't discovered yet, and it was going to drop dead, and I wasn't going to get any money for it. I mean, we don't know. So, I believe, as Craig does, that whatever is happening is exactly what's supposed to be happening. So anyway, it was a great time with him. I I'm thrilled that we had this time with him, and um, we'll be seeing you next week, um, Tuesday, 6 p.m. Wait, which time is it 6 p.m.? It's Pacific time, Justin. It's 9 p.m. Eastern, and that's The Road Taken. Hi, I'm Vicki Abelson. I wrote a book called Don't Jump. Andy Stone is my heroine, and she was addicted to everything pretty much except heroin. Oh my God, oh yes! She just totally captures the excitement of, of rock stars. And famous athletes and famous comedians. Sort of an insider's view from the outside. The warmth and wit of Vicky's writing knocked me out. In, in a good way, not, not like Cosby. Too soon? Vicky wrote a book? Vicki Abelson's long-awaited new book, Don't Jump, is finally here. Don't miss it. Available on Amazon.